Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, and John chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. Hear now the word of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will, say, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Amen. Good morning, Edgewaters. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lisa. Um, I haven't been here for a while. I'm usually at the other um, 1030 service. Um, and so it's great to meet some of you guys. Um, uh, as you guys saw, as David mentioned and showed the picture, the India team went off. Um, part of my team, part of the team is my husband, um, Pastor One J. Um, they left on Friday and they got there um, safely. But this year, um, I get to go to the Ivory Coast missions, um, which leaves in a couple weeks with my second son, uh, Micah. Um, and because the trips, actually the two trips, overlap a couple days, about two, three days. I won't see uh, 1J, me and Micah won't see 1J for a month. And so um, this is actually the longest I've been apart from him in 20 years. <laughs> We've been married 18 and dating um, two before that. Um, and I have the longest I spent apart from him was about two weeks. But so this is um, really strange. But thank goodness for um, Cacao and uh, Cacao Talk and internet and um, international texting plans. <laughs> um, so um, pray for us. Pray for me and the kids. I have four kids. Pray for us. I've just been shuttling them around summer to summer camps this uh, summer. But um, yeah, let's pray before we look into <laughs> the word of God. Thank you so much, Lord. It's um, always a privilege um, to speak your word. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us today, would convict us, would um, show us how to respond. 
would you give us um, insight and wisdom? Um, and most of all, would you bring faith, Lord God, as we hear your word? We know that your word never returns empty. And so we trust in you this morning. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So um, did you know in mid-2010, just seven short years ago, there was actually an FBI bust. It was called, the bust was called illegal, the illegals program. And 10 people were discovered to be, uh, were arrested because it was discovered that they were Russian sleeper agents who were, who basically had forged documents and had stolen IDs um, to get into the country. Out of those 10, there was actually a couple right here in the area their fake names were Richard and Cynthia Murphy, and they actually lived in Hoboken in the 1990s, and eventually they um, bought a house and moved out to Montclair. Um, uh, Richard, the, the guy, um, he actually attended New School, the New School, I don't know if some of you guys have heard of it, it's in Greenwich Village, and Cynthia, the, the wife, um, she actually got two degrees from NYU, two BAs, and then went on to get her master's of business at the Columbia, um, uh, Columbia Business School. Um, but their real objective, it was discovered, was that um, they were supposed to obtain information about the US policy in Afghanistan and, and um, give it to the Russian government and also um, nucle the nuclear program of Iran. So it was discovered they actually were doing like real spy stuff like having messages in pictures, hidden messages in pictures, and messages using invisible ink and all that stuff. So that was just about 10 short years ago in 2010. Um, they even had um, two daughters while here in the States. And when they arre were arrested, the daughters were only 11 and 9. Um, and at the time of arrest, the, um, someone interviewed a neighbor. And the neighbor said, was quoted as saying, they couldn't be spies. She was so shocked. They couldn't be spies. Look what she did with the hydrangeas, <laughs> right? And so this sounds like um, kind of like a movie. Uh, uh, there we go. This sounds like a movie plot or something from a TV drama. In fact, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the recent um, TV series. They're on it here. Thank you. Um, um, that was actually loosely based on this these events, the illegals program, um, because the writer Joe Weisberg, he was actually an ex-CIA officer, right? And so some of us, as we hear something like this, it's kind of crazy to think your neighbor 
could have been uh, a double agent, a sleeper agent, right? Um, we think it's just kind of in the movies or in TV dramas. Um, I'm sure I'm dating myself by saying this, but um, who didn't freak out when Nina Myers in the first season of 24, <laughs> right? When she, it was found out that she was the secret mole and she totally backstabbed Jack Bauer and Tony Almeida, right? Everyone was like, ah, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening, right? She was actually voted number nine in the 2013, 12 years later, in the 2013 list of the 60th nastiest villains of all time on TV. I thought that was so funny. Uh, but why is that so crazy? Why is that so terrible? Because she totally got Tony Almeida and Jack Bauer to trust her. And then she turned around and just stabs him in the back, right? Um, and so we think those are examples of, you know, people um, from, from movies or dramas of um, people who are, you know, bad people or people who backstab. But... Um, but some of us, you know, we think it's, it's not as bad in real life. Or maybe some of us have even been um, betrayed by a friend, by a family member in real life. Um, but, all <laughs> but all joking aside, I want to reread re for you Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Um, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. In this context here, Jesus is talking about false prophets and how on the outside, you wouldn't recognize them. They're exhibiting Christian behavior. In fact, they're exhibiting really gifted, powerful Christian behavior. They're saying, hey, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we even drive out demons? But Jesus is saying, get away from me. I never knew you. I mean, aren't we told in church, don't we learn that God knows everything and sees everyone? Um, so it's strange in this context that Jesus is saying this. Um, and so we have to look, what does he really mean? Basically, Jesus is telling us that you are a people that look a certain way on the outside. You're saying all the right words. You're acting like everything is okay. But really on the inside, no one knows you. You're wearing a mask and you're never taking it off for Jesus. You never let Jesus see your broken self. You don't trust him enough to admit your brokenness to Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, get away from me. I never knew you. You are, in fact, like the Russian sleeper agents leading a double life. You're Nina Myers. You're acting and doing your job and um, being normal when, in reality, inside, there's something really different going on. And so... Um, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about one of the most notorious characters in the Bible because he wore the ultimate mask and he ended up betraying Jesus. We're going to be talking about Judas Iscariot today and how the Bible describes him. So let me give you some background. Judas was obviously one of the 12 disciples. 
he was actually handpicked by Jesus after he had spent a whole night in prayer. Um, however, whenever the Bible lists Judas, he's always mentioned last. Peter is usually first, and then they go on, um, and Judas is last. But the author, every time they mention Judas, they always make it a point to say, and Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. They always have that tag at the end to remind the reader. Um, but that um, the second part of his name, Judas Iscariot, Iscariot actually means man of Kerouth, which is actually a name of a small town in Judea um, in the south. And in fact, uh, we know that he's the only disciple not from Galilee. Galilee was in the north, but because Judas Iscariot was from the south, he was somewhat of an outsider. The rest of the 11 were actually from Galilee, but Judah, Judas was from the south. But even though he was an outsider, he eventually came to be a man who was in a trusted position because as you can see from the, pa the second passage that Jay read for us today, Judas was the treasurer of the group. It says that he was the keeper of the money bags. And so today I want to talk about three things that we can learn from Judas's life. The first thing being sitting under good teaching and being in community is not enough. It's not enough. And I'll go on to explain. The second being you can't lose your salvation because once you're saved, you're saved. But some people are really good at faking it. And the third thing is how you finish is more important than how you start. So the first thing, what can we learn um, about Judas is that good Bible teaching and good community is not enough. And you're probably wondering, ah, what are you talking about, Lisa? I finally found a church that I want to go to. New Mercy's awesome. Um, <laughs> but think about it. Judas had complete access to the best sermons and the best preacher, Jesus. <laughs> he sat under Jesus explaining the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, the parables, explaining all the parables. He had the best discipleship program. We started cohorts this year. He had the best cohort. Um, he saw and experienced crazy things with the other 11 disciples. He was literally an eyewitness to miracles. He saw people being healed from blindness, from paralysis, the, ma the lame man who was stuck on the mat and he got up. Um, he even someone raised the people, not just one person, people raised from the dead. Come on. He saw Lazarus come back from the dead after three days. Um, and he literally saw the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. And so he got the best of the best of everything. Um, but what was missing? What was different than the other disciples? Because you see, just hearing good teaching is not enough. Just being in good community is not enough. Why? Because eventually, you have to start believing and obeying what you're hearing. 
You have to take that next step. James 1, 22 through 25 says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what he had heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. What about us? Like I said, you finally found the church that you want to go to. You like the New Mercy sermon. You, um, you like the community here. You like the service. Um, we have here at New Mercy, we have incredible programs. We have FGs. We have Bible courses. We have cohorts, like I mentioned. Um, then why do some of us, after being exposed to these things, grow? And yet some of us, why are we still lost? Honestly, this is probably the hardest part of ministry that I experienced over and over again. I've been in ministry uh, with my husband about 20 years, over 20 years now. And it breaks my heart every time I see this because literally kids in youth ministry or in college ministry that were exposed to the same exact teaching, the same sermons, the same fellowship, when I meet them five years later, ten years later, um, they're not walking with the Lord. And I think to myself, sometimes me and one Jay talk about it, and we're like, oh, should we have done more visitation? Should we have prayed more? Should I have prepared better Bible studies? Um, but ultimately, what does it come down to? It basically comes down to the individual and their responsibility to own their faith to believe and to do. We can't be saved by osmosis. You can't be saved by just sitting with other Christians on Sunday. We each have to believe for ourselves, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In fact, we have to own it for ourselves, for God so loved Lisa, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Sadly, for Judas, he never made that personal decision, and so he remained lost. Secondly, what can we learn from Judas is that you can't lose your salvation because once you're saved, we're saved. We're Presbyterians, so we believe that theologically. But a lot of people are really, really good at faking it. Jesus was the great pretender. He was literally in full-time ministry for three years. He learned the Christian lingo and the correct behavior. He faked it so well, in fact, that when Jesus, during the Last Supper, was revealing, hey, someone in this room is going to betray me. No one, none of the disciples, like, looked to Jesus and was like, I think it, looked to Judas and was like, I think it's him. No one did that. In fact, in Matthew 26, 22, it says, um, they were very sad and began to say to him one after another, 
Surely do you mean me, Lord? In fact, they didn't suspect Judas so much that they um, suspected themselves <laughs> before they suspected Judas. They were like, is it me, Jesus? Is it? It's not me, is it? And so when you see that, you know that Judas totally had his mask on firmly. No one suspected anything except for Jesus, of course. Later, when you see three verses later, after the disciples are each saying in turn one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord, Judas says in verse 25, verse 25, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Notice here, the other disciples called Jesus Lord. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. The disciples said one after the other. But when it's Judas's turn to ask, he says, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. He's showing where his true relationship with Jesus was. He thought of Jesus as a teacher, not his Lord, not his Savior. But I think the biggest contrast on how we can see how Judas really faked it was is from the second passage uh, Jay read for us today. John from John chapter 12 verses 1 through 8. The story of Mary. Remember Mary is mentioned in the Bible when when um, because she's Lazarus's sister, but also the story in the Bible where Mary and Martha, Mary's busy serving and Mar and Mary, sorry, Martha is busy serving and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him. So um, from the passage, we see, when we see the contrast between Mary and Lazarus, let's look. Um, we see, um, starting with verse 3, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary's faith was genuine and real. How do we know that? Because where do we find Mary once again? We find her at the feet of Jesus. Some commentators even say that she might have been the only one who truly understood that Jesus was going to die. At this point, the other disciples were still somewhat confused and thought Jesus was going to be either like a political or military leader, whereas Mary learned to worship at the feet of Jesus. She sat there listening to his teaching, and so she really heard what Jesus was trying to tell people. In fact, her relationship with Jesus was so devout that she was extravagant in the way she showed her devotion. What does the Bible say? That this perfume of pure nard was worth one year's wages. Think about it. How much do you make in one year? I don't, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> um, 60,000, 70,000, 100,000, 150,000. Um, that's how much it was worth. 
Um, and that's why these kinds of perfumes were usually family heirlooms that were passed down from mother to daughter. You actually had to break the top off to break the seal. And so it was basically a one-time use. That's, I don't know your salary, 150000 in in that one pint of perfume. But Mary, she wasn't just extravagant in giving Jesus that anointing of oil. She also loved him with complete abandon. You know, she could have anointed Jesus' head, but what did she do? She took the humble position and anointed his feet and even wiped the excess with her hair. Culturally, at that time, washing someone's feet was a slave's job. And that's why during the Last Supper, when Jesus got down and washed the disciples' feet, it was so shocking. But also, at that time, culturally speaking, women, respectable women, never let down their hair. But what does Mary do? She not only wipes his feet, the job of a slave, but she wipes the excess with her hair. Why? Because she didn't care what other people thought of her or how they viewed what she was doing. All she cared was that she wanted to worship Jesus. And that's how she did it, with complete abandon, with extravagance. Now, contrast Mary with what Judas did. His first recorded words in the Bible are actually right here in verse 5. It says, why didn't this perfume be sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He knows how much it's worth. Where Mary's whole focus is on Jesus and worshiping and anointing Jesus, what does Judas do? He tries to draw attention away from Jesus. He's saying, he's pointing out the waste. But the Bible in the verse right after says, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus, I mean, Judas, oh, that was a terrible mistake. Judas faked it by outwardly doing ministry, but privately, what was he doing? He was stealing money. Mary used her resources to express deep devotion, complete abandonment when she worshiped, whereas Judas, he was using Jesus to selfishly gain what he wanted. How many of us fake it? When we see Jesus, we just see him as someone who needs to do what I want him to do. He needs to answer my prayers in the way and in the timing that I want. Or are we like Mary, where we genuinely want to be devoted to a beautiful Savior, and we want to give him everything? Lastly, what can we learn from Judas's example? We can learn that the finish 
is more important than the start. Judas had a great, great, great beginning. He was chosen. He was part of the elite. He was a leader. He was ordained and sent out to do ministry. Yet at the end, where do we find him? The Bible says in Matthew 26, 14, that Judas purposely went out and approached the religious leaders. They didn't come to him. He went to them because he wanted to sell Jesus out. They agreed on 30 pieces of silver, which the Bible in Exodus 21 says is the cost of buying a slave. Judas sold out Jesus for the cost of a slave. It was the ultimate backstabbing. Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and on top of that, how? With a kiss. If you read the story of Gethsemane, when the soldiers finally come to take Jesus, Judas kisses him to tell the soldiers who they're supposed to take away. But for Judas, after he realizes his mistake, he's filled with remorse, and so he tries to return the money to the religious leaders. But the religious leaders are like, no, that's like blood money. We're not taking that back. And so Judas runs away and ends up hanging himself, totally hopeless. But it's interesting to note that Jesus, that Judas, so many J's, Judas is actually dead before Jesus is even sentenced by Pilate, before Jesus is even crucified on the cross, before Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they not for they know not what they do. Judas is already dead by then. He never understood that he walked, literally walked beside hope for three years. He never understood that Jesus didn't want outward show, outward action, but rather he wanted genuine devotion, a broken and contrite heart. Ironically, in the same way, some of us maybe had a great beginning too. We can say, you know, in youth group, I used to be president. Or, um, you know, when I was young, I used to go to church like three, four times. I practically like lived there. Or in college, I went to retreat and had this amazing encounter with God. Or five years ago, I went on missions and I got to experience the awesome power of God. I felt him so personally, so clearly, but now, now we can barely wake up to make it to service on time. Maybe we'll slip in before the sermon starts or something. Or now some of us literally just come to church because we want some kind of religious education for our children, or, or maybe we come to church to see our friends. Yes, I understand that life happens. We get busy. We have families. We have responsibilities. Um, there's always an excuse, and there always will be an excuse. And it's scary to think that one day when we face judgment, Jesus can say to us, get away from me. I never knew you. Don't let that happen. New mercy. 
church, don't let that happen to you. Start cultivating your relationship with Jesus. Stop feeling guilty about what you have or haven't done, even what you did last night. Stop it. Because you know what? Jesus rose on the third day. He's alive right now. He's walking beside you right now. And whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or still sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't even know if I'm really a Christian. It's okay because you know what? You can decide right now. You can decide right now to take ownership of your faith. Jesus wants you to take off your mask. Jesus wants you to show him your brokenness. We are New Mercy. Our tagline is Church for the Broken. Let him see you, the real you. Let him show you that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Let's pray together. Some of you might be thinking, you know, I am a Christian. I am a Christian, so maybe this sermon doesn't really apply to me that much. But Jesus is asking you, take off your mask still. Are you hiding behind religious works? Do you show the real you to others around you? Do you allow Do you allow Jesus to come in more fully? So let's pray. Let's pray. And others of you who aren't sure, am I a Christian? Decide today. Decide today to own your faith and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's pray. Let's continue to pray. um, And go to Jesus. He wants you to come. He wants you to worship.